listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This message is from the series Heroes and Underdogs, with a new weekly topic on one or more people who did great things for God. Be sure to check out Michael's book, A Call for Courage, Living with Power, Truth, and Love in an Age of Intolerance and Fear. You can get it on Amazon or wherever books are sold. have your Bible open with me in our Father's Word to Genesis chapter 16. As we continue in our series, Heroes and Underdogs, these are character studies in the lives of people that God used mightily. Some of them are very famous, some of them are not very famous, but each one of them has something that we can learn from. And this is a great thing for you to do in your own time with God. If you're looking for what I should do, if you're asking yourself the question, asking God, what should I study next? One of the great things that you can do is go to Hebrews chapter 11 and look at what we call oftentimes the hall of faith. All these great people that are listed in Hebrews chapter 11, you can get an example of some of the heroes and underdogs in the Bible. Pick one of those and then find all of the occurrences in the Bible where that person comes up and do what's known as a character study. Look at the things that they did right, the things that they might not have done right. Look at how God used them and look for transferable principles, things that you can use in your own life, things that you can replicate in your own life. That's a great thing to do, a character study. And we've been in right now a character study on the life of Abram, whose name will be officially changed by the time we're done to Abraham. And the name Abraham means father of many. The name Abram means exalted father. But the name Abraham, when God speaks to him in the covenant of circumcision, the name Abraham means father of multitudes because it has to do with names have a significant meaning in the Bible. It has to do with what God promised to Abraham and what God is actually fulfilling in the life of Abraham. So we're continuing today. It's our last time together. Even though we could spend a lot more time on the life of Abraham, we're continuing today and we're resolving, we're finishing up this series portion in the life of Abraham because we need to move on. There's a lot of other characters that we need to look at, but turn with me now to Genesis chapter 16, beginning in verse one. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. He listened to the voice of Sarai. Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. If you're not picking up on it yet, you need to pick up on it. Abram listened to the voice of his wife. And everything that results here is because Abram listened to the voice of his wife. Now, there are times when it's good to listen to the voice of your spouse. And there are times when it's bad to listen to the voice of your spouse. How do you determine whether it's good or whether it's bad? Well, it's not very complicated at all. It all comes down to whose voice your spouse is listening to. If your spouse is listening to the voice of God, then you should listen to the voice of your spouse. If your spouse is listening 
to his own voice or her own voice or the voice of culture or perhaps even a demonic voice. You should not listen to the voice of your spouse. It's significant that the Bible records that Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. And you're going to understand that with crystal clarity, why that is so significant by the time we're done. But this is what sets the stage for everything that happens here and the consequences therein. You see, every choice that we make in life has a consequence. And sometimes that consequence has further consequences. Look what happens here as a result of Abram listening not to the voice of God because God has already spoken to him. Genesis chapter 12. God has already ratified a covenant with Abram. And by the way, when that smoking fire pot passes through those pieces in Genesis chapter 15, what is Abram doing? He's he's cutting logs. He's sleeping because the covenant, the promise is not based on Abram's faithfulness or faithlessness. The Abrahamic covenant is based on the faithfulness of God. And it's significant that Abram was sleeping. He was a participant in the covenant, not because he had shown himself to be faithful. He was a participant in the covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, because God was faithful. And all God needed was a participant in that covenant. Whether that person was faithful or faithless did not matter because the Abrahamic covenant is based on the promise of God, not the alertness and not the faithfulness of Abram. Very important to understand that. And so here, there is a fly in the ointment right after this high point, this mountaintop experience where the Abrahamic covenant is ratified in Genesis 15. Just like your life and my life, oftentimes what happens, the, the downfall or the fly in the ointment or the spiritual attack or the time when we let our guard down happens right after a mountaintop experience, right after a high point. And so one of the things that I've learned in my life and that I continually relearn in my life, I hope it's something that you've learned in your life and that you're continually relearning in your life is to be on guard after a spiritual high. To pay attention after you have experienced incredible, miraculous spiritual victory. Because almost always you see this again and again and again and again, even in the life of Jesus. And if it was true in the life of Jesus, certainly it's going to be true in our lives as well as Jesus' followers. Right after that spiritual high, often what happens is a weakness, a time of weakness. It can be a time of attack. It can be a time where we lose ground and we shrink back and we lose some of the momentum of what God has established in our lives. And so here, Sarai, her biological clock is ticking. She's realizing that she is now an old woman. Maybe she's already gone through menopause so that it is biologically now impossible to have children. Abram is an older man. 
And if you're a younger man, you don't think about becoming an older man. But if you're an older man, you begin to realize that some of your plumbing does not work the way it used to work. Biologically true. And so if there's a problem with the man or there's a problem with the woman or there's a problem with both the man and the woman because Abram is older than Sarai, the chances of having a child decrease and they get lower and lower and lower as time passes. And so God has made a promise to Abram saying, listen, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth through one particular descendant of yours. Paul talks about that in the book of Galatians, that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment. We know that Isaac is the immediate fulfillment as we're going to see together today. But these people are now facing a future that does not seem to be too bright. And I don't know about you, but there are times in my life when God has made a promise, and yet I'm wondering if God is ever going to make good on that promise. Will God ever deliver what he promises? And here, it's just Sarai expressing a real frustration that she has a real weakness. And Abram, who seems to be quite naive, one of the characteristics of Abram is that he seems to be naive. And naivety can be a beautiful thing, a thing of innocence. And it can also be a scary thing because it can be one of danger. It seems like when someone speaks, whether it's God, Abram believes. When his wife speaks, Abram believes. It seems like there's a simplicity in him, almost if we could say it this way, a childlike faith that he has a propensity to believe. I mean, what would you do if God showed up to you out of the blue and said, listen, I'm gonna make your name great. I'm gonna give you land. I'm gonna make you into a great nation. Kings and kingdoms are going to come from you. All the people on the earth are gonna be blessed because of one particular descendant of yours. Would you just say, hey, yeah, I got you. I'm gonna adjust my life accordingly. And yet that's exactly what Abram does. And God ratifies that covenant and shows him, I'm going to make good on what I promise. And we would think, well, God made a promise. Abram's holding on to his God and to that promise. And so he's a hero. And he's an underdog, believing God for things that don't seem to have any potential of coming true. And then here we come to chapter 16, where there seems to be a fly in the ointment. And Abram listens to the wrong voice. Verse three, so after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. That was one of the customs of the day. You could do that, okay? It's not saying that there is an approval before God who promoted monogamy, as we see in Genesis chapter three. You have to understand that the Bible presents real people with genuine problems and weaknesses in need of divine help. The Bible presents real people with genuine weaknesses and problems in need of divine help. And so there are instances where the Bible is not presenting something and affirming and condoning the behavior. It's not approving of the behavior, but it is accurately recording the behavior as it transpired. In other words, God is so big that even the warts and difficulties of the people that he has called and equipped are not big enough to thwart his plan and his purpose. God is not afraid to display the weaknesses of his people 
so that his goodness and his power and his glory can be manifest. In fact, in fact, as we're seeing through the life of Abraham, it's actually the weaknesses and the failures and the warts that give God the opportunity for his name to be magnified above and beyond what it otherwise would have been. And so in your life, if you have junk in the trunk and warts in your life and you're given to doubt and sometimes you might even have a propensity to listen to the wrong voice, you are not given permission by God to disqualify yourself from being used by him. If God could use Abraham, God can use you. But one of the things that we have to understand is that heroes are not perfect people. There's no such thing as a hero that is born a hero. Heroes, biblically speaking, they're not born, they're made. And what we are witnessing here in the life of Abraham is the transformation of an innocent man into a mighty hero. We are witnessing the metamorphosis of a mere mortal, just like you and just like me, into somebody whom God can use powerfully. We're witnessing the transformation of a man into a hero. Real heroes are not born, everybody. Real heroes are not born, they are made. They are forged in the furnace of difficult decisions, of temptation and hardship. And the whole reason, one of the main reasons why this story is in the Bible is because I don't know about you, but you should know about you. When we read this story about Abraham, there's a lot like me, there's a lot like you in his life and his stumbling and his fumbling that I can identify with and you can identify with. And there are times where God makes amazing promises to us. Sometimes they're, they're so good that they're too hard, too big to believe. They have to be because of the nature of who God is. But you have to understand that you were not born a hero. You were not born in a fixed state of faithfulness. But God's objective in your life is to develop your faith, to transform you so that you go on a journey, you partake in a journey similar to Abraham's journey. He's not all that he's one day going to be. But he is in process that the God who spoke to him is at work in him, is at work apart from him, is bigger than his weaknesses, bigger than his fumbling. So that by the time Abram is laid in the grave, by the time Abraham is laid to rest, it's not Abraham's story. It is God's story through Abraham despite Abraham's weaknesses. Real heroes are not born, they are made. And in order for you to become the hero that God wants you to be, there will be things that you will wrestle with in the course of your life. You'll have to wrestle with things in the course of your life. It is inevitable. You will have to wrestle. You will have to combat your own mind and your own thinking. You will have to combat the thinking of your spouse, the thinking of your children, the thinking of people in the culture where you live. It is inevitable. 
If you live in this world, you will face challenges. If God has spoken to you, and he has, and the primary way that God has spoken to us is not through subjective revelation, although that can happen. The primary way that God has spoken to us is through his word, the Bible. So because God has spoken to us, you better bet your bottom dollar. You can expect it. You can anticipate it. There will be voices out there in the world, voices on television, voices on the internet, voices through your smartphone seeking to dumb you down. And if you're not careful, you will listen to your own voice. Some of us are are our own worst enemies because we listen to ourselves more than we listen to God. And you gotta be careful as a spouse. You've gotta be careful as a parent. You gotta be careful as a child. You have to be careful as a boss. You have to be careful as a coworker. You have to be careful as a person who lives in your neighborhood. People will listen to you. They will listen to you for better or for worse. You need to make sure that they are listening to you for better because you are listening to the voice of God. Because in a time of weakness, in a time of vulnerability, in a time of challenge, you could say something that could cause your spouse to make a decision that has huge consequences. Huge consequences. You could say something that could cause your child or children to make a decision or to think a certain way. How many of us have been programmed by a well-meaning parent who said things that to this day we can still hear the voice or voices of our parents? Come on now, be honest. And here's an example where the theology that is being presented through the narrative is what we're talking about. This is all theological stuff that matters in your life and mine. When God speaks, when God makes a promise, you need to hold on to the promise and you need to be careful about your own thinking. You need to be careful about stinking thinking, whether it comes from you or somebody else. You need to be careful about what culture is telling you, what society is telling you, and you need to cling to the promise of God. But here... Abram, on his way to becoming Abraham, listened to the wrong voice. Verse four, he went to Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. All disobedience brings difficulty. All disobedience brings difficulty. Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. Now, this is amazing. She's the one that gives him the idea. He acts on the idea, and now she says, (laughs) I hope God gets you for what you did. But you know, we're all like that, aren't we? At the end of the day, each one of us is individually, personally responsible for the choices we make. Because Abram was a grown man, fully grown, might I add. It was his own decision, after all, that he made. 
May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her and she fled from her. So sin begets sin. Difficulty begets difficulty. And it's all because somebody listened to the wrong voice. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, which is most likely a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not what this message is about today, but I'm just helping you understand when you see the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, it is a pre-incarnate, pre-birth. Remember, Jesus always existed. The son of God always existed in human form, had a birth date. It's not December 25th, by the way. It's just a time when we all pause to celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus, the incarnation, but that's when God became man, came into the world, but God always existed, all right? He said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from? Where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I'll surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. And this is the prophecy about Ishmael, not too encouraging. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So again, the consequences of disobedience. This child, not the most comforting words that you could imagine for the mother to hear a prophetic word about the child. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. For she said, truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. It lies between Kaddish and Barrett. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abraham, or Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Now that's mentioned on purpose because time is passing and Abram, even by this account, is considered to be an older man. He is up there in years. He's not getting up there, he's up there in years. And then in chapter 17, we have the covenant of circumcision that is presented where Abram's name is changed to Abraham. And then we read this in Genesis 17, beginning in verse 15. God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. So we're seeing the elaboration clarification of the Abrahamic covenant as now more specific details are provided. Before we had just Abram being involved, and now we're realizing that it is indeed Abram and Abraham and Sarah. They're the couple that's going to give birth to the offspring. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed 
and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who's a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child because time has passed? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. In other words, can't we just do this with Ishmael? He's already born. He's already thriving. That makes sense. This biological thing doesn't make sense. Can't it happen that way? And look at God's response. Verse 19, God said, no. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. He laughs. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I've heard you. Behold, I've blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. One of these amazing instances in scripture where we have God and man corroborating together. We have them working together and somehow God being moved by his servant and deciding to bless, right? He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation, but I will establish my covenant with Isaac whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. And so we're having the clarification on the Abrahamic covenant. Now we know that it's Abraham and Sarah, and now the name of the particular offspring is given. There's clarity. And so we see a general proclamation of the Abrahamic covenant, and now we're seeing clarity being provided. Now turn with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 21, which is the fulfillment. First, you don't want to misunderstand that every single hero that God makes into a hero is indeed made. Heroes are not born, they're made. God is not afraid of showing the warts and the difficulties and the hardships and the questioning of the hero because after all, by definition, heroes are not born, they are made. And what we're witnessing here is the transformation of Abraham into a hero whom God can use. In chapter 21, look at what we see here. Verse one, the progression. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. God means what he says. He says what he means. He delivers what he promises all the time. Not some of the time, all of the time. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. This is the fulfillment of what God promised, right? And Abraham circumcised his son in accordance with Genesis 17. He circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. That's 25 years years after Genesis 12, as it's recorded. 25 years later. So for 25 years, 
Abraham is in the school of faith. He's learning what it means to trust God. He is a hero in God's school for 25 years. And the implication that's being presented here is that don't you think that Abraham is going to end up the same as he began once God got a hold of him? Once God gets a hold of your life, you will not end up the same way you started. 25 years God has dedicated to his servant Abraham for 25 years and far beyond 25 years since before eternity. For all eternity, God has been committed to his reputation and his name. But look at what happens here. Finally, this child is born. He's 100 years old. Verse six, Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said that Abraham and Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Not only is every hero made not born, but behind every struggling hero is a faithful God. Behind every single hero or underdog in the making, every struggling hero in the making is a faithful God. It's not about your flawlessness. It's not about my perfection. It's not about how we, without wavering and without being weak and without struggling, that those are the only people that God can use. This is an unconditional promise, this covenant. It is an unconditional promise, the Abrahamic covenant. It is based on the nature and the character of God. That's why Abram was sleeping when it was ratified. God didn't ask him, hey, what do you think about this smoking fire pot that I'm going to have showing the ratification? You know, what would happen is they would split the sacrifice and then each party would walk through that sacrifice as a symbol saying, may it be done to me. Just like these pieces of the animal that has been sacrificed if I don't keep my part of the covenant. Did God have Abraham pass through the pieces of the animal when the Abrahamic covenant was ratified in Genesis 15? No, because Abraham was sleeping. But God was making a statement. I'm swearing by my name, not yours. It's because of my faithfulness, not yours. Oh, please don't make a mistake and think that it's all up to you. That if you jump through every single hoop perfectly and flawlessly, some of us think that following God and serving God is like being in the Olympics and that only those who get the gold medal are the ones that God can use. That's not the way it works, everybody. Yes, we'll see in the lives of other heroes and underdogs that there are conditional statements that God makes that you need to do this in order for me to do what I'm promising you and offering you. But here, this is an unconditional promise. This is an unconditional covenant. And I'm so thankful that it is unconditional because it is wrapped up in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if it was conditioned upon the faithfulness of mere mortals, then I can guarantee you that there's no way that the Lord Jesus would have come into the world. That covenant had to be conditioned upon the faithfulness and the unchanging character, the unchanging word of God. Because if it was up to you and to me, to mere mortals, not one of us would have been faithful. And if you were faithful your whole life, somebody coming after you probably would have blown it. And this is one of the things we're going to see again and again and again in the lives of just about all the heroes that God uses, especially the major ones. 
They all have major setbacks. But here, the setback, the weakness of Abraham is not by any means at all something that overshadows the faithfulness of God because behind every struggling hero in the making is a faithful God. And God says what he means, does what he says, delivers what he promises. And here miraculously in chapter 21, we see the birth of the son who was promised by God. And we see God making good on everything he promised. And then we come to this amazing passage of scripture, the next chapter in Genesis chapter 22. And look with me and pay attention really carefully as we are seeing now this hero who has now been fully fashioned. This man who has now become as Galatians chapter three, verses seven, and then verse 29, Galatians 3, verse 7, and Galatians 3, 29. Abraham is given to us as the template, the model, the example. He is said to be the father of everyone who has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the example. But he didn't start off the way he ends up. Look with me at Genesis chapter 22. You're not going to end up the way you started if you're trusting God, if you've given yourself to him. God is at work despite your shortcomings, despite your weaknesses, despite the moments where you might listen to voices you should not listen to. Verse one of Genesis 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac. Wait a second. I've been through so much here. And yet this is not the response that we see Abraham having. Do you understand that this is now, everything's being laid on the line? This is the son of promise. This is the son of miraculous intervention. Abraham and Sarah should not have been able biologically to have a son, and yet they did. This is the son of promise. Take your son, your only son Isaac. Remember, it is the one, Isaac is the one that God said, he's the one through whom. God will fulfill his promise. Take your son, your only son, who is a type of Jesus, by the way, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham asked God, how in the world can this be? But God, you told me that it would be Isaac. We don't see it this time in Abraham. We see Abraham now responding in a fundamentally different way. So Abraham rose early in the morning. There's a sense of expectation and excitement and enthusiasm now. There's nothing recorded here about Abraham scratching his head anymore and saying, I don't know if I can trust what you're saying is actually going to happen. I'm not sure that this is going to actually happen because something had happened to Abraham over 25 and eventually 35 years by the time this event happens because Isaac is now about 10 years old. After 25, after 30, after 35 years of seeing his God be faithful in the midst of his weaknesses, in the midst of his sin, in the midst of his shortcomings and shortfalls, he finally has been transformed where now he can trust God. He can believe God to do the impossible. So Abraham, early in the morning, gets up, saddles his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering. 
and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, can you imagine this? Father. And he said, here am I, my son. My son. I've seen you grow up for these 10 years. I heard the voice of God say that you're the one of promise. And now my God, who has made me go on a journey that's truly unbelievable and impossible. I know that he's asked me to take a step into something I don't comprehend. Yes, my son. He said, behold the fire in the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. Faith begets faith. And now the father is teaching the son what it means to trust in God. And Abraham knew something his son did not yet know, but boy, his son was going to be taught just as well. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know. For now I know that you have been transformed. Now I know that you know about faith. Now I know that you trust me. Now I know that you have come to the point where you respect me, where you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide, or Yahweh Yirah. As it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. Now it's a reiteration going back to Genesis 12. I will surely bless you. We come full circle 35 years later and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring, particular, singular, one individual, a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ as Paul the Pharisee interprets it in the book of Galatians. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. 
I know that you have been tempted listening to the voice of your wife and we know where that got us. I know that you have been tempted to listen to your own voice and your own reasoning and your own logic and your own understanding of how things work. But now, after 35 years in the school of faith, you have learned, you have matured, and you have graduated. You now understand that the most important thing of all of life is to listen to my voice above all the other voices. And let me tell you something, my friends. We are being challenged today in our nation and in this world like never before. We think it's me, myself, and I. I get my value from the clothing I wear, from the house I live in, from the job that I have, from the position at church that I have, whether I'm an elder or a deacon or a Sunday school teacher or a pastor or a senior pastor. We get our identity from all kinds of voices. And the problem is, the issue is, God is trying to get all of those voices to be subservient, to bow the knee and to surrender to the only voice we should listen to. And that voice is not your voice. It's not the voice of your spouse. It's not the voice of your children. It's not the voice of a politician. It's not the voice of the culture. It is the voice of the God who provides. It is the voice of the Lord Almighty. God says to him, because you have listened to my voice. You think that's a coincidence that God is referencing his own voice? We learned from the beginning of Genesis 16, Abraham listened to Sarai's voice. And it wasn't a good thing. Listen, every time you listen, every time we listen to someone's voice except the voice of the Lord, we get ourselves into trouble. Every single time. Oh, that we would have a church that is consumed and concerned only with the voice of God. Listen, you might think you're spiritual. You might think you're godly. You might have a great reputation among people. I don't care what your reputation is among people because God doesn't care. We should only care about the opinions of people when they are reflecting the voice of God. One of the reasons why the church in the United States is so weak is because we've allowed ourselves to be dumbed down. We care about everybody's voice. We care about offending people. We care about people's needs. And I'm not saying we shouldn't care about people's needs. I'm saying that a lot of the things that people present as needs are really wants. They're not needs. It's to stroke egos and to, to pursue a life of comfort and convenience and complacency and apathy and detachment. Just leave me alone so I can do my own thing and get self-absorbed in whatever it might be. Listen, the great aim of the Holy Spirit is that you learn to listen to the voice of God. And when you hear somebody else's voice, you're being tempted to think one way or another. You have to filter that through one thing and one thing only as a person of faith. Is God telling me to do this? The D-G-R, T-M-T-D-I principle. Did God really tell me to do it? If God didn't tell you to do it, you don't need to do it. And God's not going to be upset with you. He's actually going to be pleased with you. Real heroes aren't born, they're made. Behind every struggling hero is a faithful God. And look here, look at this passage right here in Genesis 22. It's amazing. We become like the God or gods we serve. 
with the passage of time, you will become like the God or gods you serve. And our God is faithful. And if you have a commitment to serve him one day, maybe not today, maybe you're not where you're going to be 35 years from now, but when God is done with you, you will be just like him. You will be faithful. And finally, look here. God's goal in all of our lives is that we listen to his voice, not the others. There are thousands of voices we could listen to today. The only voice you need to heed is the voice of God. That's it. And so when we come to Hebrews chapter 11, I end with this, verse six, without faith, it is impossible to please him, God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Verse eight, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going, faith. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, faith. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand on the seashore. These all died in faith. There are other references to heroes mentioned in the beginning of Hebrews chapter 11, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. That's not an allegorical story. This is true because the New Testament is commentating on the Old Testament. He was tested. He offered up Isaac and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son of whom it was said through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. My friend, I don't know where you are in your journey of faith, but you need to understand that God is not finished with you yet. That we serve, if it's the God of the Bible, the living and true God, he is a faithful God, regardless of your fumbling. That God makes promises and he delivers what he promises, says what he means, and is right on time. And that sometimes, oftentimes, all the time, it takes a lot of time for God to take us from where we are to where we need to be. But at the end of it all, you will become just like the God or gods you serve. You will reflect his glory. And along the way, the thing that God wants to work in your life and in mine the overwhelming, overarching, continual lesson from all different angles is that the only voice that really matters at the end of the day is the voice of God. So listen. 
Interested in requesting Michael Anthony for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on couragematters.com. You can get more resources just like this podcast through the app and website as well.